last Sunday of the year, last sermon of the year, last week in our study in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Coincidence? I think not. Um, We've been working through our uh, last few months in the book of Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, and it's been an interesting study, let's be honest. Hasn't been, uh, hasn't been a walk in the park. Um, the book of Revelation was written by John as God spoke to him and showed him the things that would take place later. And that's the whole purpose of that book. The whole purpose of the book of Revelation is that God is revealing to us, the reader of that book, what is to come what the future looks like, and really what the end of the future looks like as well. And as we've studied this letter over the last few months, we've learned a few things. Firstly, that this letter is is important. Like every other passage in Scripture, Revelation, the book of Revelation is very important. But secondly, we've learned that there are parts of this book that are really hard to understand. Um. But thirdly, what we realize is that the life that we live, the existence that you and I are part of, we're not the main character, but we're actually a part of God's greatest story. We've seen how God will promise to return and that all mankind will face judgment one day. Satan and his enemies will also face judgment and they will be destroyed and thrown into hell whereas those who are faithful to God would be redeemed along with the world we live in. So tonight as we look at the last passage, uh, where are we? Revelation 21 and 22. What we're going to see is we're going to see what the author will describe as what the end world would look like, the final world. And then he's going to give us some final observations and thoughts, speaking directly to the readers of his letter. Now, wouldn't it be nice to know what the future holds? You know, I always joke, and it is a joke. Please take this as a joke. Don't, don't write me an email later tonight. But I just say, God, I just need six numbers, Lord, and the Powerball. <laughs> you know? I just, I don't need to know the future. I just need six numbers and the power. It's a joke, okay? Please don't be like, oh my God, this pastor's a psycho. He's a psycho, but you should have known that by now. Wouldn't it be interesting to know what the end of, well, what your future look like? You know, so many of us, right? You know, it'd be nice. You know, if you're single, it'd be nice to know who you're going to marry or if you're going to marry. Because if you just knew that you were never going to marry, then you just wouldn't bother, right? Don't have to look nice, don't have to shower, just, you know, live life, right? Or if you knew who you were going to marry, just go, hey, they showed me, let's go. You know, like, you know, just save time, like no dating, no courting, you know? Or like what job you were going to end up in. You know, maybe you're a banker now. And later, like, you're going to go through some, you know, magical, you know, transformation in your life and you're going to end up, you know, being an author. So why waste time being a banker, right? Just go straight into writing books. We would love to know the future. We would. We would love to know what the future holds. Think about this year. At the beginning of this year, wouldn't it have been nice to know that this year on so many levels was going to suck? 
You know, like people who are getting married. Oh, poor Afshin. Wouldn't it have been nice, Afshin, to know that you weren't able to ever have your reception and we're going to still, we're still waiting for your reception? I don't know when that's going to be. You know, wouldn't it be nice to know if you were going to get sick or not get sick or you have a job or not have a job? You know, if we knew what the future was going to hold or what the future was going to look like, then you know what's interesting? Our lives would change. We would live differently. For example, this year, if you knew, right, where we would be at the end of 2020, we probably would have bought shares in JB Hi-Fi. We would have exercised during lockdown and not thought, no, no, this will be over. I'll exercise when I'm out of lockdown. And we wouldn't have bought airplane tickets to anywhere. Anywhere, right? See, when you know what's at the end, it actually changes what you do now. It actually has an impact and an influence on the decisions that you make today. And that's why the book of Revelation is so important for us. Because it paints us that picture of the end. It paints us a picture of what the end days will look like. And when we know that, then the way we live our life today and the decisions that we make today change. Now, in Revelation 21 and 22, long story short, Satan thrown into hell. Satan's um, uh, little minions thrown into hell, beasts thrown into hell, all the bad guys thrown into hell, all God's people saved and, and are now living with God. And what John is going to present to us is this picture of what life is going to look like, what the world is going to look like for those that are saved by God. And there are three things that he's going to picture, uh, draw for us. And as I said, draw, I literally mean draw because it's very symbolic and a lot of imagery. Right? Three things that heaven is going to look like. Last week we talked about heaven, that it's not just a place up there, but it's heaven on earth. What's it going to look like? Three things. Okay. Number one, it's going to be a place of beauty. Heaven's the place of beauty. Revelation 21, 9 to 11. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit of a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone like the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. One of the first things that we need to understand what heaven looks like is that it is beautiful. Now, John has described heaven or the heavenly realms and all the language that he uses is around these precious stones. Now, why would John use precious stones? Because in John's mind, in John's human finite mind, that is the most beautiful thing that he knows. That's, how, that's the only way that he can describe it in his own language. And it's glittering. It's glorious. 
See, the first thing we need to recognize is that heaven is a place of beauty. Secondly, heaven is a place of magnitude, size. Revelation 21, 15 to 17, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length as, uh, and as wide and high as is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. Now, we don't understand what those measurements are, but uh, 12,000 stadia is equivalent to about 2,250 kilometers. Now, you have no idea what that is, right? It's about Cairns to Melbourne, okay? That's 12,000, uh, that's 2,250 kilometers, give or take. So, so John is describing heaven as his place, and, and the angel's actually measuring with a measuring stick and going, wow, this is 2,250 kilometers length, width, and height. Now, is that literal? Is that met metaphorical? Is that figurative? Who knows? But the key is this. It's big. It's big, and it's big enough to house the people of God. Heaven is a big place. And finally, heaven is a place of beauty. Heaven is a place of magnitude. And thirdly, heaven is a place of life. Revelation 22, verse 1 to 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's this beautiful image. Inside the city of God, inside heaven, there is this river, this luscious river running through. And this river is the source of life to these trees. And this tree is the tree of life bearing fruit. It's just this beautiful picture of a lush garden. Of pretty much what the Garden of Eden originally was. That's the redemption of creation. Unlike the earth where we live, where things crumble and die, wither, burn up, heaven is described as a place of abundant fruit and abundance of life. See, this is the last image that the author is shown and records to us. This is what heaven is. This is what heaven is, and, and, and it's for those that ultimately end up in heaven. It's a great place. Now, that's how the author concludes. But this, uh, the book of Revelation, if we, if we remember, is actually a letter. It's a letter written by this guy called John, and, and originally it was to be circulated to the seven churches, the ancient churches, and then now we get it in Scripture. And so what John does is, after describing everything that he's seen in, in Revelation, right? And you know what? It'd be traumatic, right? He's been shown a lot of things. At the end of the letter, he takes a moment to pause from what he's seen, and he's going to address the people he's writing to, right? And he's going to give some final thoughts about 
the book of Revelation, the, everything that he's seen. And what I want to do is I want to conclude this series with some of the key themes that he's going to finish with in this last, um, in this last uh, part of, of Revelation. And there are three things, I think, that are the key things that we take out of all of the book of Revelation. And as we finish 2020, I think they're really important and key things that we can take out as well. The number one is this, the end is coming and the time is near. Now, I don't say this as a, a, to scare you. Um, <laughs> I tried to say that in the most like jovial, the end is coming. <laughs> the time is near, you know. Like, I don't want to scare you. But I think the book of Revelation, this is one of the common themes that continues to come, is that the end is coming. Revelation 22, verse 7, look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Revelation 22, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Jesus tells us that the end is coming and the time is near. For what? For Everything that has been written in this book, which is kicked off by the return of Jesus Christ himself. Why does John tell us this? Why is this one of the most important things throughout this whole book? It's so that we can be aware. It's so that we don't live in ignorance as if the end of the world will never happen as if this world and this life is all that it is. The book of Revelation reminds us that this life that we live, it's short, it's temporary, it's physical, but outside of the physical realm, there is a spiritual realm that we all exist in, and that's the realm of God. The warning is given so that we don't live life in ignorance, but we are aware of what Jesus is telling us, that the time is coming and the time, oh, sorry, the end is coming and the time is near. Knowing that this is the truth, it must change our lives. It must change the attitude of our life. It must change the approach that we live our lives. Because to recognize that this place on earth is temporary and that actually our existence does not rotate around ourselves, but actually we rotate around our God, the creator, it must change the way we think, change the way we live, and change the way we value each other. For example, um, there was a book um, written years ago called Tuesdays with Mori. I don't know if anyone's read this book. It's one of the few books that I've read, few. And this, this, uh, this journalist um, meets this guy called Mori, and Mori is diagnosed with um, an incurable disease. And Mori does not know how long he will live. And this journalist is fascinated with this guy called Mori. And so he says to Mori, do you mind, do you mind if I come every Tuesday and we have a coffee together? And this book um, talks about the conversations that he has with Mori. Now, can I tell you, Mori, who is 
on his deathbed, right? And he doesn't know when he's going to die. He doesn't know when the end is for him, right? Maury never sat at home binging on Netflix. Maury never sat at home clicking YouTube clips after YouTube clips after suggestions of YouTube clips and YouTube clips. Maury never sat around considering how he was going to lose 10 kilos to get into those pants. <laughs> because for Maury, he knew what his end was. The reality of his end was as real as it came. So for Maury, life was different. His end determined his present. We live life. We live life now. And, and if we're honest, this is all of us. We all live our lives freely. We live planning. We live with a lot of um, plans and we, we think about what's going to happen in the future. And actually, a lot of us waste a lot of time too because we do not believe what Jesus says to us that the end is coming and the time is near because if we did, we would not live our lives like this. We would not waste our lives like this. I've spoken to a few of you and we sit down and we go, what do we want to do this year? And you know what so many people say? I don't want to waste my life. Imagine if you only if you knew you only had a year to go, you definitely would not be wasting your life. And yet we do. We live our lives as if we're going to live forever. As if all the plans that we've made, you know, in my 20s I'm going to do this, in my 30s I'm going to do this, and 40s I'm going to do this, and 50s I'm going to do this, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and maybe when I get to 100, maybe when I'm tired, maybe then I'll die. And that's a good time to die. But life does not work like that. Has not this year taught us this? That the world is unpredictable. Your life is unpredictable. but knowing the truth of Scripture that tells us that our lives are limited, that one day Jesus will return, that the end of the life that we know of will come, should change the way you think about your life. Should change the way you invest your time, your money, the way you treat people. The end will always influence and impact the present. And if it doesn't, it's because you don't believe in that end. Because you don't believe that Jesus will return. You don't believe that you're going to have to stand in front of God the judge and explain your actions. It's because you don't believe that. That's why you live free. That's why you don't care. But if we truly believe what Scripture tells us, and if we truly believe what Scripture paints for us in the future, then our lives today must change. The end is coming and the time is near. The second thing that we take out of this whole book is that God is in control. Revelation 22, 12 to 13. Look, I am coming soon. 
My reward is with me and I, I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God reminds us of who he is. Right? The Alpha and the Omega. Right? Now, a lot of people, right, we use this language, but something I realized later was a lot of people don't actually know what that means. Right? Now, in the Greek, it's, it's language. They're letters. In the Greek, in the ancient Greek language, Alpha was your A and Omega was your Z. Right? That's all it is. Right? So when God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, what he is saying is that I am the beginning I am the first and I am the last. Now, the problem is you think that you're the Alpha and Omega. See, this is the problem we have in our lives is that we think that we are the Alpha. When we were born, that's A, that's the beginning of my life. And then when I die, that's the Omega, that's the Z, that's the end of my life. But the reality is, the biblical reality is God existed way before you were born. The world existed way before you were born. And when you die, God will still exist. And when this world comes to an end, God will still exist because the spiritual realm goes beyond the physical realm that we live in. God reminds us that not only is he the first and the last, but that he is in control from the beginning to the end. Now, once again, if you believe that, it changes your heart and mind. Right? My children, right? Lord bless them. All of them. So many of them. Too many of them. I only bought, you know, half my family came to church today? That's three. That's more than some of your families, right? Only half my family came today because one of them's sick. If you're sick, stay home. COVID safe rules, right? Community announcement. My children never worry about if there's going to be dinner on the table. Now, do they know my financial situation? Not really. I remember one of my kids asked me once, hey, dad, how much do you earn? And that's a really interesting question, right? Because as a dad, you're sort of like, I don't know how to answer this. Because if I go, I earn a million dollars, right? They're going to go, oh, you're the best dad. But the problem is they're going to go tell some other kid, my dad earns a million dollars as a pastor. (laughs) at the Chapel Sydney, and we're going to get on the news, okay? That's what's going to happen, right? Pastor of the Chapel Sydney earns a million dollars doing nothing. You know, like, you know, but then, you know, kids don't understand the concept of money. But never do they question whether there will be breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the table. Why? Because regardless of the pandemic, Regardless if dad's been sick or not, regardless of if it's raining or, sh- or, or hailing or, or shining sun, they know that mom and dad are in control of the house. They know that mom and dad, it's, they are going to take care of the food in our house and we will never have to go hungry. And so you know what my kids don't do? They're not on seek.com trying to find jobs Underage illegal jobs pushing trolleys, you know, at Coles supermarket because they don't trust that dad's got food and money ready to go. They trust me 
They believe that mom and dad are in control. So they wake up and they go, dad, where's breakfast? Dad, what's for lunch? Dad, what's for dinner? They don't have to go, you know, on the street, start begging because they're not sure if dad's going to pull through or not. Here's the thing. They are 100% confident and they 100% believe that their dad is in control of that house. Do we have that same belief and faith that God is in control of our lives? And the, question, and the answer is, mm, sometimes. That's why we get anxious, isn't it? That's why we worry so much. That's why we're on seek.com trying to, you know, earn our way, trying to make ourselves a little bit further up and just, you know, a little bit more comfort and a little bit more health. And why? Because actually in our heart of hearts, in our heart of hearts, we struggle to believe that our God is in control. Didn't this year show us that? Pandemic, boom. Everyone goes into free flight. So much anxiety, mental illness just straight off the roof. Why? At the end of the day, because they don't believe that anyone is in control. But we should be different, shouldn't we? If we believe that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God that was there before we were born and the one that will be there after the world ends, that God, if, if that God is in control, then shouldn't we feel safe, at peace? See, it's not a question of, is God in control? God is in control. It's a question of whether you believe God is in control of your life. Now, I've had to learn this the hard way, and I'm sure you will too. I've had things happen in my life where I've tried to control, and if you've been at this church long enough, you would know, I've tried to control my life. I've tried to, you know, draw out the plans of my life, and then God, you know, then things just happen, and then, you know, a few grenades went off in my life, and I just, I lost it, and I didn't hold it together. Bottom line, I didn't trust that God was in control. Now I look back and I go, of course God was in control. It's not the fact that God is in control that is in question, because he is. It's the fact that whether you believe he's in control of your life. Because if you do, the way you treat God, the way you honor God, the way you live for God changes because he's real. Doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. Doesn't mean that you're going to get six numbers and the Powerball. You know, it doesn't work like that. But if you know God is in control, then you don't fear, you don't worry, you're secure and because you're significant to him, you're important to him because he's real. And finally, the book of Revelation, and this is where the author finishes, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water 
of life. The last thing that we understand from the book of Revelation is that there is an invitation to everyone. An invitation is given. The book of Revelation teaches us that there is a clear distinction between those who choose God and those who reject him. Now, I I know sometimes we can sugarcoat this because it can be a very offensive message. But the book of Revelation shows us black and white. There is clear distinction of the people that choose God and the people that reject God. And depending on that choice, your eternity will change. But also in this invitation, also in this invitation, we see God's heart towards his people. This invitation that says, hey, come. Hey, this free gift of life. Our Christmas service, a sermon a few days ago, we learned that Jesus is the gift that we all need, the one that is necessary, but the one that we don't deserve. And yet God offers this gift to us freely. He says, come. Come and receive the gift of life. God does not force us to choose him. You know, sometimes I wish he would. I look at my friends and family who do not believe in God and and, and I love them, but I also understand Scripture to be fact and 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 I worry for them. And sometimes I wish God just break their legs. Or God, just turn up in a dream, like, like one of those like really scary dreams where like, you know, their life will change straight after. Like, I'm here, I'm real, believe, by Steve sent me. You know, like, you know, like one of those, you know, sometimes I wish he would. But you know what God's love for us? He loves us so much that he would never enforce this on you. He would never, you know, push you to believe in him. And that's why it's an invitation. It's a free invitation to each and every one of us that says, come, follow me, and I will give you life. 2020. What do we learn from this year? I think the one big lesson that we need to learn, and hopefully that we've learned this year, is simple. We are not in control. You are not in control of your life. This idea that you are the master of your own destiny, that's rubbish, right? We are not the masters of our own destiny. There is some lie in this world that has been implanted into our lives that says you make the decisions of your life. You can be in control. This year, has not this year shown us this? We need to be real and we need to realize that if we're not in control of our lives, then we need to work out who is. And we need to trust them. And that happens to be our God. Friends, when we align our lives to the Almighty God, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, God will take care of you. God will look after you. Now, it might not be the way you wanted it. It might not be pretty. 
It might not be easy, but God is still faithful. God is still looking out for you. No matter what happens, when we trust God, we become stronger. We learn to stand firm. And we learn to continue to press forward. Forward to what? Where are we going? Revelation tells us. To heaven. Now, this isn't to say that we should sit back and just like, yeah, I believe in God, so I'm just going to wait for heaven and just do nothing in my life. No, that's not it. Because if you understand the heart of God, the heart of God wants everyone to come back to him. The heart of God tells us that he, his desire is for all the lost to be found again. And if we really understand God's heart, then we would invest our lives in that as well. Remember, friends, this earth is it's not our home. This earth, it's temporary at best. And you don't even know when your time will be up on this earth. So don't, don't invest your whole life into this temporary place. But build for yourself an eternity in heaven. Because that's where home is. Not here, but in heaven. Friends, my prayer is that we would learn this year and the things that we would learn, that we would be able to take them into 2021, learning to walk closer to God, relying on God, seeking His will in our lives, learning to not invest into the temporary things of this world, but to live for the eternal things, the things that will matter even beyond our life. And as we finish up this series and this year, be reminded that God is with you, that God has been with you every day this year, and he will continue to faithfully be with you no matter what. Let's pray.